Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15 is where we're at. And we're in message number six in the life of Samson, one of the judges that judged Israel or uh, provided leadership in very dark times in those days in Israel, some 400 years of history that's recorded, in essence, in the book of Judges. Uh, And we know that during that time, we had the testimony of the sort of the commentary of the day was that everybody was doing that which was right in their own eyes. And if you live in a world where everybody does that which is right in their own eyes, uh, you find out rather quickly that it's a world that's pretty caught up in selfishness. It's also a world that's pretty caught up in, um, in being led astray because we will lead ourselves astray. That's the way we are. Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? And I would say God knows our hearts for sure. But led in our, or left to ourselves, we will be led astray and we will sin. As John talked about in, the, in their time this morning with our breaking of bread and just a little bit of sin will sometimes you know permeate it does that's the if you let it go it will permeate the whole lump the whole loaf right Um, and it's that way Uh, and so the book of judges as we've seen this we see times in a cycle in israel where they come out of the time of joshua when the people stood firm with conviction and said we will serve the lord and our families will serve the lord Um, and then they go into the very next generation going back as if they forgot the things of God, going back into serving idols, worshiping other gods, and adopting the pagan culture that was around them. And pretty soon they find themselves back in slavery. Even though they weren't in Egypt, they were enslaved, enslaved to their sin, and enslaved to the lands that were around them that came to occupy their territory, their land that was given to them through the Abrahamic covenant. And they would go for a season, maybe a generation or two, and then cry out to God and repent. God would hear them, be merciful. He'd raise up a leader, and then that leader would help deliver them from their enemies. And then they would follow the Lord for a while, and then it was right back to that cycle. And I don't want to be kind of hopeless in that idea that only, you know, you're stuck in a cycle or or whatever. But often, I will say, that can be the case if we don't deal with sin in our lives and we don't walk wholeheartedly day by day with the Lord, it's easy to give up ground that had been conquered, and uh, that freedom that you received in Christ, it's easy to give that back over to the enemy. It's easy to give that back over, and all of a sudden you become a slave. You're no longer uh, a servant to Christ, but a servant to sin. And you will serve somebody. Uh, I would say serve Christ, because he's the only perfect master. And don't serve sin, it will lead you in a terrible spiral out of control. Well, we see that a little bit with uh, the life of Samson. We learn about him and that he was a man of superhuman strength because God gave him his strength. And we've already seen where Samson, this great man of passion, he didn't slow down for much, right? When he wanted something, he got it. That's the way he was. And yet we find time and time again in Samson's life, in these previous five messages we've looked at him, where God was still pleased to use him, but it was as if God never really got a hold of Samson or Samson allowed God to get a hold of him fully. He always went back and reverted to himself. And he, as someone said, had an eye problem. 
His I problem was it was all about him. I am able to do this. I am strong. I am a mighty warrior. But yet he didn't realize fully that it was God on him that made him mighty. And so we've seen that in the times that Samson yielded a little bit of himself to the Lord. The Lord used it mightily in spite of who Samson was and got the glory in those things. Now, last time we looked at uh, Judges 15 and we looked at the portion here where Samson ends up going up against the Philistines and with the jawbone of a donkey, he kills a thousand men. And we kind of left it off there last week in that great victory that took place when God used Samson to deliver him from their enemies. And we're going to pick that up in Judges chapter 15 and in verse 16. Because this is what Samson said in his song of victory. Uh, He said, verse 16, Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from the hand, from his hand, and called that place Ramath Lehi. And he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. And so God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name En Hekor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Lord, we are grateful for your word, and as we open it again this morning, we pray you would have your way in our hearts, in our church here, in our our families, in our world. Thank you that you are God. You are high and lifted up above all circumstances that are going on, all war that's going on, all battles, all evil. And Lord, you are the one who is good in the midst of it all. May we be drawn to Jesus Christ today. May May he be lifted up here And in our hearts, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see here Samson, and if you want a little outline, it's a pretty simple outline. It just kind of goes with the text as well. We see, number one, the the thirst of Samson, or the condition of Samson going into this. And uh, you read in verse 18, then he became very thirsty. And so, just previous to this, he's, he's killed a thousand men. And matter of fact, we know the time because it says it was during the wheat harvest. Now, my understanding is that wheat comes to harvest in the hotter part of the end of summer in that time frame. And it would have been a a hot time of the year. And to go out there and to literally have to fight a thousand other men. Now, that seems like almost it would have been an impossible task for any man to prevail in, in that. Except God was with Samson and he did it. But nevertheless, he used Samson in his own physical strengths as well. And Samson got thirsty. And I would say anybody would be thirsty if they were in such a battle as Samson had. And we see for the very, I think, the very first time, at least evidenced in the life of Samson, where Samson reveals he has a need that he can't fix. Now, sometimes that happens. Um, You know, in our strengths... As young people, sometimes we grow in our strengths. And as a young man, there were things I just didn't have to go to God on because I thought I could do it myself. 
only to discover later on that I can't do some of those things anymore and I don't jump as high as I used to or run as fast as I used to. Uh, but uh, in many ways, I've, I've gotten stronger in some areas and weaker in others, sometimes in the flesh. And, and there's times where we age or we go through a great battle in this case. And Samson is tired, he's thirsty, and for the first time, he stops and he recognizes, God, I need you in my life. Now back there in verse 14 of this chapter, it says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And the very verse that we started with after that, you know, was that section on uh, the song of Samson. And as I said, he had an eye problem. You look at the last verse of, or part of that, it says, I have slain a thousand men. Well, the previous verse told us that it was the Lord that actually strengthened him to do that. And Samson, in his song at least, if I just take the words as they are, uh, indicate that he, you know, he thought he did it. And then all of a sudden he realizes how thirsty he is and he needed water or else he felt he would die in that. Well, it's easy to see the reasons why he might be thirsty and it certainly was a reality. And the reality sets in on him because he realizes that he is so thirsty that he felt like he was going to die or he would be at least delivered over to the enemy, even though he had had this great victory in that. And may I just propose to you that you know, the best place to be, and it's not the most comfortable place to be, but the best place to be is when we come to the conclusion that we need the Lord and he is there for us. Jesus said, come unto me, ye that are heavy laden, right? And I will give you rest. Aren't you glad that he's able to do that? The Lord is such that he is there for those of a broken and contrite spirit those that are weak those that are thirsty those that hunger in isaiah chapter 40 that wonderful section of isaiah and we have isaiah 40 31 at the end of this which is a verse that's familiar to many but i love what it says here it says he the lord gives power to the weak may i propose to you this morning that samson in reality was a weak man and when he comes down to this point in his life he realizes that the strength of his you know, his own strength is not enough and that he was going to perish at the hands of the enemy if he didn't get a drink of water. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, I am so thankful that God gives us strength. Even in the times of great weakness, we see that. Um, I, and, and talking about this whole idea of thirsting in that, I have mentioned once or twice before, maybe in other meetings, I don't know if on Sunday morning, but uh, of a dear lady that was in a church I pastored downstate. I pastored at Pasadumcake Baptist Church years ago. And uh, there was a dear, dear lady there named Joan um, did her funeral um, after actually we had left that church and gone to MBBI. Uh, she passed on, but I went to visit her in her final week before she went home to glory. And Joan had cancer that had spread to her throat. Awful thing, cancer is, and she was very weak. She couldn't swallow. You can only imagine what it's like when you can't swallow. And she went several weeks sort of in that condition, not able to swallow. 
Uh, at first, she couldn't swallow solids, but then it became she couldn't swallow liquids. And I remember sitting by her bed, her family was gathered around as well, and she would be able to talk in little bits and you know, throats all swollen, everything else. And she had a piece of an orange, and she would put that orange, they would put that in her mouth, and she would chew on it and taste the juices and all that, and then she had to spit it back out. And she says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In that verse, every time I come across it in scripture, I see that. And I remember that time sitting with Joan and hearing her say that. In her last words, she was as strong as ever in that she was pointing people to the Lord. And you know, I find those times of life, they're so difficult for us, especially for those going through it. But so often it is out of our weaknesses and our infirmities that God is raised up and we see him for who he really is and we know we need him. Samson, for the first time in his life, comes to that conclusion. He sees his need for Christ. He sees his need for the Lord in that. And we have numerous illustrations throughout Scripture of the very same thing. I think in John chapter 4, we won't necessarily go to all those verses, but in John chapter 4, you've introduced there to Jesus going to Samaria And there he goes to Samaria, and Jesus himself is tired. And he recognizes he himself is dependent upon God. Now think of that. God the Son being dependent upon God, the Father, God the Holy Spirit. How could that be? Well, because he was God in the flesh. And he has felt every infirmity that you and I have, every temptation that we've had, And yet, differently, because his is without sin. But the Bible says in John chapter 4 that he had hiked there to Samaria, and he was thirsty. He sat down by a well, and a woman comes out, and she's there in the heat of the day to draw water from a well. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And this woman says of him, why do you ask me, a woman of Samaria, a Samaritan, you're, you're a Jew, why would you ask me for a drink? And it was totally counterculture. Because Jews and Samaritans didn't have fellowship together. They come from the same origins and all of that, but they, they, didn't, they didn't get along. But Jesus decided he would go to Samaria because there was a woman there he needed to talk to. And he tells her of this living water that he has. And she wants to know where this living water is and how to get it and all that. And Jesus does something only Jesus can do because he knew this woman even though she didn't know who he was. He said, go call your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, rightfully said, she had had five husbands and the sixth one that she was now living with was not her husband. And this, I can sense this woman as the conviction sense in on her life. <laughs> And yet she's drawn to this one who has pointed out to her that she's in need of salvation. That she's a sinner. How do I know that? Because she goes back and tells the people and tells the men, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done and says, he's the Messiah. Could this be the Christ? And she goes back and she receives, I would say, an indication of her action that living water that Jesus is talking about. Samson pictures for us 
really the sinner who even in all their strength is still falls short of the the power that is necessary to get into the presence of God. I don't care how strong you are, how good looking you are, how talented you are, how much money you have, all that. None of it amounts to a hill of beans when it comes to getting into heaven. It won't get you there. The only thing that will get you to heaven is when you come as an abject sinner realizing that and saying, Lord, I need a Savior. And here's Jesus, our Savior who went in his weakness and had victory at the cross, right? As weak as that could be to die at a cross, on a cross, and then yet secure victory over death and sin by his resurrection. If you believe that, he's promised to give you that eternal life and that living water. You can have that, but you have to ask for it. You have to believe in your, in your heart, in your, in your mind. You have to understand that and by faith receive him. Well, we see that, and John chapter 4 indicates a, a good illustration there of, of someone such. Later on, later on in John fifteen five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That's a good verse to camp on. We can't do anything without him. Nothing. You think you can be strong? Well, you might get through life, most of your life in your strength, but all of a sudden, there'll come a day when maybe, sadly, you're on a bed and maybe you can't swallow. I hope not. I'm not wishing that on anybody. I just say that there will come a day, barring the rapture that is promised, but uh, that death will come knocking on our door and somehow we'll be weak and go out of this world in weakness Hopefully, finding full strength in him. If you've trusted him, you will. Well, we see that. Paul the Apostle said that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, my, uh, referring to when he prayed to the Lord to take away a thorn in the, fle- in the flesh that he had. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. If there's anything great out of the story of Samson having to go out and fight a thousand men and being victorious over them, it's that Samson recognized that God's grace is sufficient. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And we see in the very next section of that verse, Samson's cry or the cry of Samson. He goes from his thirst to now crying out, into the Lord and we we looked at that and it says and he became very thirsty so he cried out to the Lord and said and he delivers a 27 word uh, prayer (laughs) you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised and as I mentioned earlier that's a contrast to the previous verses where he says, I have slain a thousand men. Now Samson is there and saying, Oh Lord, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And that is absolute truth. He used Samson as his servant to provide a great deliverance and the glory would go to God. The glory must go to God in that. I like that. You know, the Apostle Paul, again, talks about this, this idea of humility. And I think Paul, if you want to compare like an Old Testament character and a New Testament character, 
I kind of like look at Samson and some of the attributes of Samson, and I see it in the man who became the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus a little different. He was not a man in the sense that you would accuse him of being out of control because he was everything under the law. He was a he was a Pharisee, and of the sect of Pharisees, he was a zealot, which was a group that uh, were like the real the enforcers of the law. And they would go around, and as we know in the book of Acts, it shows up really rather quickly. And they looked at people of the way, people who were following Christ. He he looked at them as as uh, heretical. And he, as Saul of Tarsus, took it upon himself to go out and get letters, that's judicial letters, to enforce the Jewish law and to go out and to bind up these, these people who had gone away from the faith as he looked at it. And he was consenting, for example, it, to the death of Stephen when Stephen was killed and martyred, Acts chapter 7. He was wreaking havoc on the church. That's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8. And it pictures the word havoc there, meaning like a a wild animal tearing into flesh of its prey. And that's how Saul is pictured. We, We see Samson sort of that way. Uncontrolled Samson, he was always into something and causing a lot of destruction. When God finally got a hold of Saul of Tarsus, he took him from his pride and he put him right in the dirt and he blinds him and he has to be led into the uh, into the city of Damascus as a little child it was only then that God could use Saul later Saul would suffer greatly his name later changed to Paul identifying more with the Greek culture because he was a missionary to the Greeks to the Gentiles primarily although everywhere he goes he was also preaching to the Jews his own but here he's converted and God can use him in his humility and he goes to write I mean Saul suffered greatly Paul suffered greatly he was shipwrecked numerous you know he was left for dead he was beaten he was stoned he was um, in distress he was in perils right he was stripped and made naked he was hungry he was thirsty all those different things and yet in all of that he realized that it's through those weaknesses often being stripped away from us god is made manifest in philippians chapter 2 verse 3 it says let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit i have slain a thousand men you think that's ambition and conceit yeah but when you have to go and say but lord you have delivered but he says but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interest of others let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And you have, um, Paul goes on to talk about that aspect of Christ who humbled himself even unto death, even the death of the cross. And yet he could have come here as the conquering king and just slain them all. (laughs) Could have done that. But he didn't. Because, you see, there was a greater purpose. He came to save us from our sins, not the Philistines. 
And I'm glad that he came to save us from our sins. You might try all kinds of different ways to come to the Lord, but you will never come in your pride. It's often what keeps most people from coming to the Lord. How many of us were there? How many of us have friends and family who are there? And they say, I'm not going to change. I won't do it. Because it would require, and they don't say this, but it's really, I know because that's the way I was, it requires you having to humble yourself to do so. And to realize I'm a sinner and I need help. Later on in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul writes there, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now he's writing this to a church in Philippi. And if you read in Acts chapter 16, that's where the church of Philippi starts. Paul, well, the church starts in that, in that um, chapter with various different you know, conversions that take place. But one of the prominent ones is the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer, he's the one that has Paul and his companion in prison. So Paul knew what it was like to be imprisoned in a dungeon, having been beaten, by the way. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, that's that's good, good theology. As Paul understood these things and his weaknesses actually made him more effective for Christ because Jesus was exalted. And there are a lot of other verses like that. Uh, Philippians 4, 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I thought of that in the context of the video that we watched with shoeboxes that ended up in a war-torn country at the very moment it was needed for those children with the very items that they needed in that time. God is God. Do you think some of the shoeboxes that we'll be packing here next week are going to end up in places like that around the world? Very good chance they will. And do you know some of the very things that God lays on your heart to put in a shoebox may indeed be used to glorify Christ in a way that only he can do? Sometimes we do it so so kind of haphazardly almost like this doesn't really matter but it does it does and I I get excited about that and I wish we knew all the stories that went on with that but I can just say we just see little glimpses of it right wow Uh, again back here you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant what a different prayer than what Samson went into when he says, I have slain a thousand men, he realizes and recognizes truthfully that this was God that did it. And there's a lot more that could be said with that, but you see the response of God. The response of God um, is an answer to those things. The Lord goes and he takes at Lehi and he splits that place with the jawbone And water flows out. A picture, really, of God who is able to provide living water for us in that. And the place itself is called the the place of the, well, the jawbone, which is Lehi. And that's the name. But then where he actually does this, uh, and and he he identifies the place, it's called uh, the place of the collar, or the heap of the collar. (laughs) The collar is Samson, because he called on God and God answered. 
And he makes this place dedicated, changes his name and everything to a place that would be uh, identified with that call and that answer that took place. God promised he would provide and he does. We see the response of God. God challenges us over and over in scripture to call on him. I would just, I would just dare you to do it because you know why? When we do it, he answers he always answers. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. When Jeremiah um, records those words for us from the Lord, that invitation, and that's what it is, an invitation. He promises to show us things we haven't known before. And that only, only comes sometimes through very hard things. I wish it came through. It comes through joys and and happiness as well, for sure. But often those things don't scream as loud as our pains (laughs) and our trials. Call unto him and he'll answer you, show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Isaiah 65, 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Do you know God can even answer a prayer before you call on him we saw that little video and again i don't think it was by just chance or randomness that somebody in a country like you know that does operation christmas child shoe boxes and there's numerous countries that do that put flashlights in their little shoe box or little items that were necessary for that very time and then later on as christians called out on God in a time of need, those things were already provided. And my friends, there's story after story after story like that. That only God could have known beforehand. Only God. And he does. Aren't you glad for that? You see the response of God in that. And then lastly, uh, and I don't have that slide for that, but you have the change in Samson. The change or the revival in Samson. He drinks this water that God provides and he's revived in his spirit. Again, a picture that here's Samson who in, is God's man for the hour. And it, it, up to this point, I don't think Samson realized the significance of that. We see every instance in his life where he just didn't even take his vow as a Nazarite very seriously. He just did it the way he wanted to do it, not God's way. And all of a sudden, he comes to a point where he has to do it God's way. And God revives his spirit. Using that water and a picture how God revives us. And, and as, even as Christians, as believers, we constantly are in need of God's revival in our life. Because you can get pretty thirsty in this world. And you can still go right back to him and he's willing to give us that living water that is there. There's lots of evidences of that. And I would just say this, that a life lived for God will bring about changes not only to us, but to even those around us. According to scripture here, it says, and he, that Samson, judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. There's a 20-year window here from the end of chapter 15 to the beginning of chapter 16. And that window was a relative time of peace, a relative time of security, a relative time of prosperity, And yet it was still in the days of the Philistines. And it's marked by those times. 
And I truly believe why there's evidence in this story here or in this passage that that Samson got right with God is that we see 20 years of his life where we don't have any war going on. We don't have him um, doing crazy things or touching dead animals or, you know, those kind of things. And God just says he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. How do you walk with God for 20 years? That's a good question, isn't it? And, And I'd say it's really how you walk with God a whole life. Some people don't get 20 years of their life here on earth. Some, some get many more than that. Somewhere in between. But it's waking up every day and dedicating your life to serve the Lord and taking that first step of faith every day and purposing to do that day after day after day. Pretty soon a string of days becomes a lifetime. A string of days becomes 20 years in this case. We see that. Methuselah, well, Enoch before him, his father. Um, look what it says to him back in Genesis chapter 5. And he begot Methuselah. Enoch walked with God 300 years. Now back then they lived longer. His son Methuselah lived 969 years. But Enoch was a good example in Methuselah's life. Says, and he had sons and daughters, and so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Wow. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We see here a picture of a man who walked by faith for most of his life, maybe all of his life in that sense. At least 300 years, we know, and he was 65 when he had Methuselah. We know that Methuselah also was a picture of what was to come and he was a he was his name meant after death it shall come and the very year that Methuselah died the flood came for nine almost a thousand years God told everybody get ready judgment's coming judgment's coming judgment's coming and it did the year that Methuselah dies but there's over a thousand years of faith one step at a time one day at a time one walk at a time I think it was Vance Avner who said, in reference to the commentary on Enoch, it says he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. See, every day Enoch would get up and he would go outside and, and as he's walking, you know, spiritual walk or whatever, as he's going through his day, he's walking with God. And then one day as he's coming home, getting ready to turn in for that night, God just says, hey, Enoch, we're going to go to my house tonight. Come walk with me. And you know, that's what a lifetime lived for God is like. It's but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And for the believer, it doesn't stop there. It just begins. Someday we'll be in his very presence. And oh, the joys that it'll be. And oh, these old struggles down here and weaknesses are gone. No more sin. Do you know Christ? Do you know him as your Savior? Oh, I pray you do. I pray you trust him. Oh, believers, if, if you walked away from him and he's a stranger in your life right now, listen, come back. Drink of that same fountain that you found in faith. And listen, he's promised to revive you as well. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning with a song. And sometimes songs can make Christians liars or people liars. This one is one of those. That's